listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. Uh, I've got something for you today that... um, if you looked at the title, might sound odd for Christians. Might sound odd because, you know, even when we were growing up, you know, if you somebody said like, you know, I hate that or what I hate, you know, people say, we don't use that word. You know, we don't say hate. We don't say we hate that. We don't say we hate. We don't hate. And um, a lot of times in Christianity, you're always, um, you know, steered away from that. You know, we love, we don't hate. But I want to put something in your spirit today because... As you've heard me say many times, only fighters are qualified to be winners. Only fighters are qualified to be winners. And if this title uh, intrigued you, it should, because, and it's not clickbait, because truly there is a perfect hatred in the kingdom of God, and there's a hatred that needs to be in your heart. And... Um, I'll show you what I mean by that, and it might be mind-blowing to you, but you need to access what I'm calling today perfect hatred, perfect hatred, and um, I'll explain it in depth, but only fighters are qualified to be winners. You know, I think of it this way a lot of times. In the book of Revelation, chapter 3 God said to one of the churches, I wish that you were either hot or cold. I wish that you were either hot or cold, but because you are lukewarm, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. So he's talking about, I wish you were either hot on fire for me, pleasing me, doing what I want, or I wish you were cold and totally Uh, you know, not totally disobedient, totally not doing and just openly rejecting my way, but you're somewhere in the middle. And because you're lukewarm, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. So notice this about God's nature and character. Even God prefers the extremes. Look at this now. Even God prefers the extremes. So notice this. God is saying this, this is an odd thing to think about, but God is saying, I actually prefer when people just openly rebel and reject my ways than I do when they try to live halfway in the middle. I actually prefer that, that people are just honestly, I don't, I'm not going to live for God. I don't care about his ways. I don't care about his uh, desires. Or if people are on fire, all I want to do is please God. All I want to do is obey his word. He said, the people that are in the middle, they go back and forth. He said, that makes me sick. I will vomit those people out of my mouth. So put this in the comments. Even God prefers the extremes. Even God prefers the extremes. And the reason I say that is because today, I want you to get this in your heart that the devil tries his best 
to get people into that center place where it's like, I mean, I'm annoyed by that too. Have you ever met people that just literally aren't excited about anything? It's like, it's just like they just coast through life. I hate that feels like, you know, nothing, nothing's urgent. Nothing's exciting. Nothing's, I mean, they're just kind of right in the middle where it's just like blah. I hate that blah feeling. And, And that's that, you know, no urgency, don't care, whatever. You know, it's such a blah feeling about life. Apparently God hates it too. He doesn't want you to be that way about his kingdom. He doesn't want you to be that way about his word. He doesn't want you to be that way about his plans and his purposes. And the devil tries to to lull people into a sleep. And they just kind of, you know, with eyes half open, coasting through life, you know, just you know, whatever, you know, there's no urgency. There's no care. You know, they don't care. They don't care that people are dying and on their way to hell. They don't care that people are suffering. They don't care that, you know, whatever. I mean, it's just wishy-washy. It's, it's, it's gross. I, I mean, I can't stand it. I can't stand it. And apparently God can't stand it. And God said in revelation three, I would, I wish that you were either hot or that you were cold, but because you're in the middle, you're lukewarm. A little bit of hot, a little bit of cold, you know, I'll, I'll vomit you out of my mouth. I will vomit you out of my mouth. You know, it's funny. I was just thinking about this probably because we're on a fast. Um, I feel that way about food as well. I like my meals to either be hot or I like cold. I like to eat things cold. There's a lot of people that don't like to eat things cold. I feel this way very much so about, uh, Chinese food. I'm thinking about that today. It's funny to me because I told you guys at the beginning of the fast, one of the biggest temptations is like if the kids or somebody had gotten Chinese during the fast, which they haven't during this fast, thank God. And there's like cold lo mein in the fridge. For some reason, cold lo mein gets me. I can crush a whole box of cold lo mein by myself. Um, Cold pizza. I like to eat cold pizza. I, I don't even bother to reheat it, I don't bother putting it on the uh, skillet or whatever. I don't. I, just, I love it cold. There's things I'll eat cold. But <clears throat> what I don't like is when it's right in the middle. If it's right in the middle, like, you know, all the heat's come off and it's kind of just a little bit warm, I got I to gotta heat it up. Or if it's been in the refrigerator and it's cold, and it's those foods that I love to eat cold, I love it cold. But that's right in the middle. That's what God's saying. I don't like that right in the middle feel. It makes, it makes me sick. And um, God wants you to be in the extremes. You know, I heard people teaching, I've heard people teaching against, now think about this. I've heard people teaching against hyper faith. You ever heard that? Have you ever heard that phrase before? Hyper faith. Well, they're hyper faith people. What does that mean? What, What does it mean? How can you have too much faith? Faith is the substance that pleases God. God likes the extreme. He likes the extremes. You know what made Jesus happy? When he met the centurion and he said, I've not seen faith like this in all of Israel. This is great faith. That that made Jesus happy. That got him excited to heal that man's servant. I've not seen faith like this in all of Israel. What was it? Extreme faith. 
You don't need to lay hands on my servant. You don't need to, not, none of that. Anoint him with oil, send a prayer cloth. You don't need to get the disciples to join around him. Just speak the word only. Speak the word only. Oh, Jesus is like, man, this is great faith. I've not ever found faith like this, even in all of Israel. God likes the extremes. How can you have, you know, they use it as a derogatory term. You know, they're hyper faith people. They're hyper faith. What is hyper faith? God likes the extremes. God likes the extremes. The devil wants people right in the middle, coasting through life. You know, it's, it's like vanilla pudding. I can't, it, it, it just, it's terrible. And so, um, one thing God can't stand is indifference, complacency. Put those two words in the comments. Indifference, complacency. Indifference, complacency. Apathy. Apathy. Add that one to it. Indifference, complacency, apathy. God can't stand it. God's not looking for people like that. God is not looking for people like that. Indifference, complacency, apathy. You say, well, what are you talking about then? A perfect hatred. What do you mean by that? Well, I want to read you a verse of scripture, <clears throat> two verses actually. Oh yeah. Complacency is a killer. Indifference is a killer. Apathy is a killer. You can't go through life that way and expect God to move on your life, move on your family, move in your business, move in your ministry. You can't have indifference, complacency, apathy. I can't even, and I'm not, I'm not being mean when I say this, but it, it's hard for me to spend any time around people like that. They just don't care. They don't care. You know, th there's like a lack of excellence all throughout what they're doing, but they don't care about it. You know, they don't care. You know, it's like, oh yeah, you know, we don't, we don't really have people to help us do that. So I don't, it's like, find something, F do something to fix it. Do something to change it. Do something to change it. Indifference, complacency, and apathy, there's no excuse. And God can't stand that. He can't stand that. And I want to read you something. Um, that David wrote. Now think about this. David wrote this. David said this. And he's a man after God's own heart. God was specific to say, here's a man that mirrors my heart. Here's a man that has my heart. He's a man after my own heart. But listen to what David wrote in Psalm 139, verses 21 and 22. If you need the reference, there it is. Psalm 139, verses 21 and 22. <laughs> David writes, do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with a complete hatred. One translation, I hate them with a perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. I'm going to read that again. There's a lot of people who didn't even know that was in the Bible. Didn't even know that was in the Bible. Listen to this. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? Do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Now, I will direct your attention to the fact this is an Old Testament passage, obviously. 
But listen to how David prayed <laughs> against the wicked. God never rebuked him for it, just answered his prayers. Listen to this. I'm reading from Psalm chapter 3. There's no chapters, just Psalm 3. Verse 1. O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are rising against me. Then look, look as he drops down and begins to ask God to work on his behalf. <laughs> I'll start with six. I'll not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Look at verse seven. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek and you break the teeth of the wicked. <laughs> strike all my enemies on the cheek and break the teeth of the wicked. One translation says, shatter the teeth of the wicked. David wasn't playing around. David wasn't playing around. And I want you, as we're, as we're doing this, I want you to think about something that should really spark something in your spirit today. 1 Samuel 17. 1 Samuel 17 is the passage where David arrives on the battlefield, sees and hears Goliath, and is ready to go after him and kill him. But I want you to see something. Where in the Bible did God ever tell David to fight Goliath? Where? Where did God ever tell David to fight Goliath? What scripture is it found? In what scripture is it found where you see instruction from heaven, David, I want you to go to that battlefield and I want you to fight Goliath and I want you to win a victory for the nation of Israel and I want you to defeat the Philistines and I want you to bring my people into a place of overwhelming victory. There's no instruction. I'll help you. You don't even have to do a search. There's no instruction from God. There's no instruction from God. David simply shows up on the battlefield and what happens? He hears something. Now remember this. David had a great love for God. He had a great love for God. So what happens when you have a great love for God? Then you also hate what he hates. Now in the New Testament, I want to say this because remember something. I'll give you a little difference here so that nobody's confused. In the Old Testament, there was no redemption. There was no Jesus. There was no blood of Jesus. There was no way that you could be saved and redeemed and made a part of the body of Christ. We have that in the New Testament. And so everybody that we come in contact with is a potential brother or sister in Christ. But in the Old Testament, you had people that were pagans, that had, they had no way to become God's people. They couldn't become Israel. They could not become part of God's family, and they were actively fighting against God's plan, his purpose, and his people. They were fighting against God's plan, his purpose, his people, the wicked, the wicked. And that's who David was talking about. They're trying to destroy Israel, take Israel out. I hate them with a perfect hatred. Why? These were people that could not be saved, could not be redeemed, and they were actively working against destroying God's people and taking them out, wiping them off the face of the earth. But in the New Testament, this principle of perfect hatred carries over. 
And I want you to look with me. Uh, keep your finger in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 17, but I want you to look with me in Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. This perfect hatred carries over into the New Testament. This passage I'm about to read you is about Jesus Christ. It's about Jesus. And you can see that if I start in verse 8 and 9. Those are the two verses I'm going to read. Hebrews 1, verses 8 and 9. But of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. Look at verse 9. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. He has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. So notice, Jesus was operating with a perfect hatred. The Bible says, because you have loved righteousness. That's a, a messianic prophecy given in the Psalms that's being quoted there. That's from Psalm 45. And the writer of Hebrews is quoting that messianic psalm about Jesus from Psalm 45 and verse 7, I believe it is, where he says, you have hated, you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. There is a perfect hatred that needs to be in the heart of every believer. God hates that in the middle, coasting, apathetic, complacent, indifferent lifestyle. He's looking for believers that will go to the extremes, that will live in the extremes. Extreme obedience, extreme faith, extreme dedication, extreme diligence, extreme love, extreme hatred. What do we hate? If you love God, then you hate what God hates. I want you to put in the comments, if I love God, then I hate what God hates. Do you know why God never had to tell David to fight Goliath? Because David heard Goliath speaking about the one he loved. <laughs> David heard Goliath speaking about the one that he loved the most, the Almighty God. He heard the blasphemy. He heard the foolishness coming out of Goliath's mouth. And um, I'll show it to you. The Bible says, you remember the story, David's father sent him to the battlefield to bring that cheese and uh, bread and everything to the captain of the guard and get a word on his brothers and all that and bring it back. But as he got to the battlefield, the Bible says in verse 22, he left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. And then 1 Samuel 17, 23. And as he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. And David heard him. That's very important. And David heard him. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who's come up? Surely he's come to defy Israel and the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches. 
and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Look at David's question there. Who is this Philistine that he should, this, he didn't just say this Philistine, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? that he should defy the armies of the living God. And all of these, all of these uh, men had heard Goliath day after day after day come out and mock God. <laughs> come out and blaspheme. And David couldn't stand it. Now, they also did not have the same love for God that David had. If they did, they also would have gone after him. If these other men in the Israeli army had loved God the way David loved God, they would have been provoked to battle. But David was the one who was in the field writing psalms and songs and worshiping and receiving from the Lord. He had an intimate personal relationship with God. And the moment he heard this uncircumcised Philistine, Speak the way he was speaking about the most high God, the living God, he said. It sparked something in him. It sparked an, a hatred for wickedness and a hatred for those that oppose God. He said it in Psalm 139. He said, do I not hate those that hate you and oppose you with a perfect hatred? I count them as my foes. And so David, he went out. And he defied the one who was defying the armies of God and God himself. Though God never had to tell him to do it. Why was he fighting on behalf of the kingdom? He was fighting because he refused to allow any wicked thing to oppose his God. Refused to allow it. And God didn't even have to give him. And I listen to that. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? So there's a point to that. Do you know what he's trying to say there? And he's saying it. They understand what he means. Their circumcision was a sign of their covenant. Hallelujah. Their circumcision was a sign of their covenant. So the question David's truly asking is, who is this man with no covenant who opposes all of us who have a covenant with God, the living God? Get that. That's such a vital point. Who is this man with no covenant who opposes all of us who have a covenant with who? The living God. Our God's alive. Now, the Philistines also served a God. They served a God named Dagon, a false God, an idol. But he's making a point here. We've got the living God on our side, and we all have a covenant with the living God. Why are we standing here listening to this man trash talk? Who is this? Who does he think he is? That's, I mean, modern day. Who do you think you're talking to? Who do you think you are? <laughs> and he's got a javelin, and he's got a spear, he's got a sword, and he's got a shield. David goes out with no armor. David goes out with a sling, and he's got five smooth stones that he picked up off the ground, the riverbed. And he's out there. And, I mean... Goliath begins to mock and trash talk him. And let me tell you something. 
David cut him off and began to trash talk right back because faith speaks to the giants. Faith speaks to the giants. You can put that in the comments, put that in your notes. No, Scott, uncircumcised simply meant this person is a person who has no covenant with God. He's not part of the tribe. He has no covenant with God. We're the circumcised ones. We're the ones who have covenant with God, the most high God, the living God. Faith speaks to the giants. And so understand, same thing's true today as we're part of God's covenant people. God hates indifference, complacency, apathy. We're pressing in. We're taking ground. We're taking territory. If you've not shared this broadcast, now would be a good time to share this. Share this word. Get it out to somebody. Listen to me. So in the New Testament, let me say it very plainly because I'm sure you know this, but I'm sure you have to say it because there's always somebody that's watching that's like, Pastor Ted was telling everybody on there that we should hate uh, people that aren't saved and we should go after them and, and do battle against them even if God doesn't ask us to. So, I'm gonna, so just so that that person doesn't run off from this broadcast, we're in the new covenant, as I said earlier. <laughs> we don't hate people. People are potential brothers and sisters in Christ. If they're not saved... They are potential brothers and sisters in Christ. The gospel must be preached to the ends of the earth, and then the end will come. If you go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, those that believe and are baptized will be saved. So they're potential Christians. They're potential brothers and sisters in Christ. We don't hate people, but we do hate what God hates. We do hate... and. and the point I want to get to in this is that there are people all through the body of Christ that are okay with the things the devil's doing. They're okay with it. They're okay with it. They, you know, they're indifferent. They don't care. Well, you know, whatever. And they learn to live with it. They learn to accept it. And they don't hate it with a perfect hatred. If you want to, God to use you to change it, then you've got to hate it. If you don't hate it, it will never change. If you don't hate it, it will never change. If you don't hate it, it will never change. What would drive you to really go out and help the hurting, help the broken, preach the gospel, win souls? You have to hate what the devil's doing to our generation. You have to hate the, the attack that's come against our children. You have to hate it. You have to hate wickedness and love what is righteous. Like the Bible said about Jesus, because you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness, God, your God, will anoint you or has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. You have to hate what God hates. You got to love what God loves. This is what I'm talking about when I say God loves the extremes. He, he loves it when his children are on the edge of of extreme. I love what God loves. I'm for it with all my heart. I hate what God hates. I don't miss a day in church. I go to church all the time. I'm in church almost 300 nights a year because the Bible said to gather together with other believers, to be a part of the body, to get in there and, and, and receive from the Lord. And so I'm extreme about it. There's people that today would think it's extreme 
to go to church. You go to church every week? You go to church literally every Sunday. Don't take a Sunday for yourself. There's people in our generation right now that think that that's an extreme thing. Yes, I go to church every time the doors are open. If there's an event, I'm there. If there's an event, I'm there. Why? I'm one of the extreme ones that God loves. If the doors are open, I'm there. My faithfulness is extreme. My dedication is extreme. I love what he loves. I hate what he hates. Oh, yeah. You're there every week. Do you know the average Christian goes to church once every five Sundays? Once every five Sundays. It's not dedication. It's not extreme faith or faithfulness. Lukewarm. Lukewarm. They're on their way to the back, sliding. Yeah, lukewarm. That's what the devil wants. He wants a sleepy generation. The love of many shall grow cold. That is a prophecy about the end times. In the last days, the love of many will grow cold. They used to be on fiery love, but now their love's grown cold. Their love's grown cold. Yeah, Shane, but even when I wasn't the pastor, I was in the church every time the doors were open. I don't care if I just got done with three straight weeks of revival. I come home, we wake up on Sunday morning, get our family ready, go to church. I didn't get up and say, well, you know, God understands. You know, I've been in church 21 days in these last three weeks, and, you know, I don't need to go to church this morning. No, no, we're up, kids getting dressed, wife getting dressed, I'm getting dressed, we're going to church because I've got extreme dedication to the kingdom. I'm not going to allow myself to slack off in any way, shape, or form. Well, we tithed last year, so we're not going to really tithe as much this year. No. God's first. God gets my best. Amen. We hate what God hates. We love what he loves. And so there's, there's a dedication that comes to that kind of love, with that kind of love. Hate what God hates. All right, so what are some things that we must hate. I want to read you something in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 7. Go with me to Deuteronomy chapter 7, and let's look at verses 9 and 10. Deuteronomy 7 is where I'm headed. Verses 9 and 10. Listen to what God said. Know therefore, this is verse 9, Deuteronomy 7, 9. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations and repays to their face those who hate him by destroying them. He will not be slack with one who hates him. He will repay him to his face. So that's how God deals with the people that hate him and work against his kingdom. That's why we don't have to do anything. We don't have to do a thing. I'm not out. I'm praying that that doesn't happen to them. I'm praying that that doesn't end up being their story. I don't want to see people end in hell. 
<laughs> I don't want to see people end in judgment. I don't want to see people end in destruction. I want to see people saved, changed, and turned around by the power of God. But that's because I have an extreme love for God, and that's what God wants to see. He's willing that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance before time runs out, before it's too late. And so because of that, I love what God loves. What does he love? He loves those that he sent Jesus to redeem. Even if they're not yet redeemed, he loved the world so much that he sent his only begotten son, that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus' blood was not only shed for those that God elected before the foundations of the world, it was shed for all people. That's why the Bible says that his blood was shed not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world, the entire world. Not for our sins only, speaking to believers, but for the sins of the entire world. He's willing that none should perish. So God hates sin, he hates wickedness, and he hates what it does to people that are created in his image and in his likeness. So he commissioned the church to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Those that believe and are baptized will be saved. Those that do not believe will be damned. And these signs will follow them that believe. So hear this today. The first thing that we need to hate with a perfect hatred, a perfect hatred is wickedness. How it's destroying our generation, our families, our children. We're seeing it rampant throughout the nations of the world. But as a believer, you have to hate wickedness. Don't become indifferent. Don't become complacent. Don't become apathetic. Hate it in every form. Hate it in every form. There's, you know, there's believers, they're just, they're, they don't care, whatever. You know, there's, that's just what it is. No, hate it in every form. Pray against it. Pray against its effect in your nation. Pray against its effect in your state and your city. Pray against its effect upon the next generation, the children in public school systems that have to endure it day after day after day. Pray against it. Hold on. <laughs> Sorry, I just got back from China. Pray against it. Hate what God hates. Love what he loves. What does God love? Righteousness. He loves holiness. Listen to Matthew 6, 24. This is the New Living. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. That's what that passage is talking about. Matthew 6, 24, that's the New Living Translation. No one can serve two masters. You'll hate one, you'll love the other. You'll despise one and be devoted to the other. Can't serve two. That's what happens. That's what happens when you're in the middle. One foot in, one foot out. How are you going to serve two masters? How are you going to serve two masters? You'll, you can't do it. You can't do it. So number one, put this in your notes. Number one today, you have to hate wickedness. I'm going to give you these things before we pray. If you want to be on that, uh, that position that God loves, the one that he grabs hold of, lifts high, exalts, promotes, gives favor to. God likes it when his children are on the extreme. He loves it. He loves it. <laughs> you know what bothers me? It bothers me when there are people that are Christians, spirit-filled Christians, and they see younger people 
pressing into God's presence like we're doing for 21 days of fasting, and they say things to discourage young people from fasting and praying. I hate that. I can't stand it. I think it's abs- I think people that do that are stupid. And there's preachers that do that, and there's teachers that do that, and there's people that are in leadership positions that do that. And they discourage young people from taking actions of dedication to the kingdom of God. Well, you don't need to do all that fast and stuff. Oh, really? What about reading the Bible gave you the idea that you don't have to do what Jesus said? What about reading the Bible? And I look at some of these people. They don't fast at all. You know, I wrote in this book that I, that I wrote here, The Complete Guide to Biblical Fasting. I, one of the things I wrote, because I wrote a, 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 a chapter called How Long Should I Fast and Pray? If you've gotten to that chapter, you know what I'm talking about. How long should I fast and pray? And I say in here that the Bible itself gives us no commanded lengths that we are supposed to fast and pray. There's no commanded amount of time for any believer to fast and pray. We can look through the Old Testament and the New, and we can see the lengths that other people fasted. We can see that. And then there's even times of unspecified lengths that I cover in here, like Anna the prophet in the New Testament. We don't know how long she fasted and prayed as she worshiped the Lord in fasting and prayer but they're unspecified lengths. But I say in that chapter, there's only one length of time that you cannot choose in fasting and prayer, and that is zero days. As a believer, you are not allowed to choose zero days. Why is that? Because Jesus said, when the bridegroom is taken from them, talking about himself, when I am taken away from my disciples, my followers, then they will fast. They will. He didn't say they might. He said, well, if they want to, they're allowed to. No, he said they will. That means that fasting and prayer is an expectation of Jesus for his followers. So who are these people that hold leadership positions telling young believers and some that are studying to be in the ministry, saying, well, you don't need to get all super spiritual and get involved with all that fasting stuff and all, you know, you don't got to get on and get like these super spiritual people that are fasting 21 days and you don't, you don't need to do that. Really? What about reading the Bible? What about reading Jesus' words gave you the idea that you can choose not to fast and not to pray? It's because they're living in a form of indifference. They're living in a form of apathy. They're living in a form of complacency. Yeah. That's why they don't do the things Jesus said he expected his followers to do. Because you're living in a form of apathy and you're living in a form of complacency and indifference. And you're happy to just coast through your Christian life and never fast and seek the face of God. And then you're telling young people to follow your example. And you're a fool. To to take somebody, think how God feels about that. To take somebody who so loves God, that's on fire for God, that wants to do something in dedication to seek the face of God, and then throwing water on their fire. And there's places where people preach about the fire of God and want people to receive the fire of God. Okay, all of a sudden you got students that that want the fire of God and you're throwing water and blankets on their fire because you're a fool. And that's why I'm going to stay in love. I'm going to stay walking in love.
But there's a reason that there's a phrase, those that can't do, teach. How come you are simply teaching a class in a school versus having a ministry that shakes the world with crusades? Discouraging young people. Can you imagine? I would be so ticked off if somebody came to my wife and then just started telling her a bunch of stuff so that she had less love for me and less dedication and faithfulness for me. Well, you don't need to love him all the time. You don't need to, you know, I would be so ticked off. And that's what people do to others regarding their relationship with God. Well, you don't need to go to church every week. You don't need to read the Bible every, isn't that extreme that you, 21 days you're going to fast and pray. You don't need to get super spiritual. And there's people that want to seek God's face. They want to go after him. They want to receive from him. But then you've got people like that, wet blankets in the spirit, throwing water in the spirit to young people. And that to me is unconscionable because what ends up happening is, is that you now are going to answer to God because you put it in somebody's spirit that was already willing to seek him and go after his face the way he wants people to. But because of you who held a leadership position that took, took their fire and squashed it, you'll answer to God for that. You'll answer to God for that. And I'm going to tell you, people say, well, you know, yes, you know, I see all these super spiritual people and they're, they're, you know, they're fasting for 21 days. You don't got to do all that. Okay. I know it's not in the Bible. I know there's no 21 day fast mentioned in the Bible. I know that I'm not, we're not doing this because there's some command somewhere in the Bible where we're commanded to fast and pray 21 days. We are taking an action by faith. We've made our own action of faith. We're starting together. We're beginning the year, giving God our best. Think about it, giving God our best, not because we were commanded a certain amount of time. It's because we want to seek his face. We want his instruction. We want open heavens. We want breakthroughs. We want turnarounds. We want to see our families saved. We want people healed. We want people delivered. We want God to grab us by his mighty right hand and lift us up and exalt us. We're seeking his face. We're seeking his face. And it's one thing, Bridget, if people want to argue, it's another thing if they want to encourage young, malleable minds who are already on fire for God and then put a wet blanket on, on their faith and put a wet blanket on their desire and their, and their fire. Fools. They're fools. So, you know... It's just, it's mind blowing to me. And, and I'm, it's different if you're just like, you're saying it offhand. When you're saying it to a group of people that are studying for ministry, that are actually going to go into working for God full time, why would you try to, to cool those people down? This is the next generation of preachers and teachers and evangelists, apostles and prophets. Why would you want to cool them down? Why would you want to put, put that in their spirit? You got to hate what God hates. You got to love what God loves. Amen. Hate wickedness. Next thing you need to hate, hate sickness and disease with all your heart. Hate it. Learn to hate it. God hates it. Do you know, let me tell you how much God hates sickness and disease. I'm going to tell you how much God hates it. He hates it so much that he took his own precious son 
sent him to the earth so that they would beat him mercilessly. The Bible says, until he was unrecognizable to his family. Beat his face until it was so disfigured. Take stripes upon his back to cut his back open so that the muscles and the sinew and the flesh ripped open and blood streamed down his back for the specific purpose of destroying sickness and disease. His body was broken. That's God's own precious son. Now think of your child. Think of your child. Would you offer them up? Would you offer them up to have their face beaten until you couldn't recognize their face? To have somebody take their shirt off and literally take a cat of nine tails and beat their back until their back was shredded, fully shredded. Nail them to a cross, plunge a spear in their side. God was willing to do that. You know why? Number one, he hates wickedness and what it does to people, and he hates sickness, and he hates disease. And by the stripes Jesus took upon his back, we were healed. He didn't have to do that. He didn't have to do that. He could have gone straight to the cross and just died for our sins only, but he didn't. He took stripes upon his back so that by those stripes, we would be made whole. He loves us. You got to hate sickness and disease the same way God hates sickness and disease. Hate it with everything in you. Why do you think we go and we take time to pray for those that are sick and we anoint them with oil and we fast and pray to see God do miracles in people's bodies? Because we hate sickness and we hate disease. We hate it. Let me just say it this way because this will be an easy way for you to keep it in your mind. Hate anything that goes against the nature character of God and what he provides. You should hate anything that goes against the character and nature of God and what he provides for his children. That's why I hate depression and I hate anxiety and I hate suicidal thoughts because that's the, that is the exact opposite of the nature and character of God. He is joy. He is peace. He is life. He gives joy. He gives peace. He gives life. So I hate depression. I hate anxiety. I hate suicidal thoughts. I hate sickness because he is the healer. I hate disease. I hate what it does to people. I hate it, which is what has caused me to go after seeing people healed with my whole heart, to lay hands on people. I hate poverty. And what it does to people. I hate it. So why do you always talk about the blessing of God? Why do you always talk about increase? Why do you always talk about promotion? Because I hate poverty. And I hate what it does to people. And I hate what it does to their children. And I hate what it does to their family. I hate it. Poverty is not of God. He is the provider. He is more than enough. He is the one that blesses and keeps us in overflowing blessing. So I hate what opposes his nature and his character. I hate it. I hate poverty with all my heart. I hate lack. I hate it. My uncle said something one time. It stuck with me. I'll keep it with me for the rest of my life. And I see it in our own house and family. 
You should be so blessed. You should have so much coming into your, your hand in your life that you even have more trash than your neighbors. <laughs> and I can tell you, we see that on a weekly basis. You should even have more trash than your neighbors. I hate lack. I hate poverty. I hate it. It's totally against God's character. It's totally against God's nature. I hate it. I hate it. Anything that opposes God's character, his nature, and what he does for his children, you should hate it. Hate it. Anything that opposes. When families are broken up, when there needs to be restoration in the family, the attack against families. I hate it. Why? Because God is the one who restores families. He's the, he is love. So anything that opposes love, if there's problems, if there's issues, if there's fighting, division, if there's, uh, you know, whatever it is, bitterness, all that stuff. I hate it. I hate bitterness. I hate division. I hate gossip. I hate jealousy and envy and enmity and all those. Th- I hate that stuff. I love love. I love joy. I love peace. I love it. I love peace. I love peace. I love joy. And so I hate anything that comes to try to disrupt joy, disrupt peace, disrupt love. I hate it with my whole heart. You got to go after the things that oppose what who God is and what he does. And that's why... The Bible says about Jesus, because you've loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, will anoint you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. There's a perfect hatred that needs to be in the heart of every believer. Hate what God hates. Hate the opposite of what he is. Let me say that again. Hate the opposite of what he is. Hate wickedness, hate sickness and disease, hate depression and anxiety, hate poverty and lack, hate brokenness, hate it with everything in you. Oh, brother, we don't use the word hate. That's a little harsh. It's not harsh. It's not harsh enough. I've seen what depression and anxiety does to people. I've seen what suicide does to families. I've seen what sickness and disease does to people and does to their families. I've seen what poverty and lack produces. I've seen it. It's not of God. I've seen what sin produces. I've seen what wickedness does to families. I've seen it. It's not of God. So I hate it. I hate it with a perfect hatred. And I count those things my enemies, my foes. Ben Fraley said, I've been there and I ain't going back. That's exactly right. That might have, that used to, maybe you're watching me, that used to be your story. It'll never be your story again in Jesus' name. It will never be your story again in Jesus' name. Maybe it used to be. It never will be again. Maybe you used to be locked into a life of wickedness. Never again. Maybe you used to be locked in sickness and disease. Never again. It used to be poverty and lack for you. Never again. It used to be depression and anxiety for you. It never again. Maybe it used to be family turmoil and issues and problems and bitterness and divisions. Never again. I hate what God hates. And when you hate what God hates, it means you love what he loves. And when you love what he loves, you go after those things. (laughs) I know there's people, you know, and, and I've crossed this bridge a long time ago. 
I, I, you have to. I crossed this bridge a long time ago. But there are people that will mock you, even in Christianity, there are people that will mock you because you go after the things God provided and the things God loves. They'll mock you. Oh, you preach all that healing. You preach all, you lay hands on people. You believe for miracles. There's people that mock us for that. They mock us. I, I crossed that bridge so long ago. I was a boy. I was a little boy. I could care less. You believe God heals people and you lay hands, you go to hospital visitation and you pray God will heal people. Isn't that precious? Oh yeah, and it works. We have testimony after testimony after testimony to prove that God is a healer still today. The power, the, the apostolic gifts are not have not ceased. God did not stop doing what he's d done for thousands of years. The Holy Ghost is not collecting unemployment in heaven. And so, they can make fun if they want, but I don't care. There's people that have made fun of Miracle Word Church because we teach and preach on financial increase and believe that God's going to financially bless his people. And we're seeing God do it. It's not like I'm just talking about it all the time and we're, just, we're never seeing it come to pass. It's happening for our people. We're seeing miracle after miracle. We're seeing uh, testimony after testimony. Wonderful things that God only God could do. Only God. Do you know why? I hate the other way. I hate what the devil brings, poverty and lack. Not enough. Barely getting by. You might come to Miracle Word Church and that's, that may be your story when you arrive. It will not be your story when you stay. You may have come to Miracle Word Church and you came paycheck to paycheck, but that's not going to be your story in Jesus' name. The Lord's taking you into abundance and overflow. Um, Michael says, but what do you say to those who believe Jesus was only able to live a humble life due to lack of prosperity? I tell them, prove it by the scripture because my Bible says something different. My Bible says that in Luke chapter eight, verses one through three, that Jesus had wealthy business people that traveled with his ministry and gave from their abundance into his ministry. Luke eight, one through three, Michael. And then the Bible says Jesus had a man that was his treasurer that had control of the money bag. You don't need a treasurer if you don't have treasure. You don't need a money bag unless you've got extra. And Jesus had extra. Let me tell you how much extra Jesus had according to scripture. Jesus had ex so much extra that Judas was able to commonly steal from the money bag and nobody noticed. And they weren't able, they, they didn't have to stop doing the things they were called to do. And Jesus didn't have to lay off any disciples and say, man, I don't know where the money went, but we were traveling with 12. Now we're going to have to drop it down to six because I don't have enough money to take care of you guys. No, he had wealthy business people traveling with his ministry and sowing into his ministry he had partners and he had excess and he had a money bag and the, the treasurer stole from the money bag. There was common embezzlement going on and Jesus kept on going. So don't tell me Jesus was poor. Anybody who teaches that is an absolute fool. They don't read their Bible. And, you, and they need to be told that. So how do you explain? What do you think Jesus did with all of the gold that was brought to him at his birth? Scholars that don't even preach prosperity believe that the excess, the riches that came to Jesus sustained his entire family for the years that he was in Egypt avoiding assassination. Yeah, that's what people say. You're one of those name it and claim it. They like to mock it. Let them mock it. Let them mock it. I'm, it's not my business. I don't care. I'm not, I'm, I have no desire to convince you. 
I'm going to live it though and have it. The people of Miracle Word Church are going to live it and have it. It doesn't matter what's going on in the natural realm. So people that believe Jesus was poor have not read their Bible. Why would the soldiers gamble for his garments? The Bible says he wore a seamless robe. You know what seamless means? You can't have a garment that's seamless unless it's made for you. You know what seams are for? Alterations. You go to a tailor, they go to the seam to alter a garment to fit you after you bought it off the rack. Seamless means it fits you because it was made for you. Why would they, gar why would they gamble for a pauper's garments? And so people that talk like that and believe like that, they don't know what they're talking about. They don't read the Bible. They need to read the Bible. Go from cover to cover. They only are, they're, re, they're regurgitating to you what they've heard some other preacher say somewhere down the road that probably also didn't read their Bible. The moment, think about this. Joseph and Mary began without means. We know that because of the type of sacrifice that they gave when they went to the temple, the turtle doves. That was something, if you go back and read, that was something that people without means, people that were not uh, wealthy or had enough money, that they were allowed to give that offering. They were allowed to give that sacrifice, the turtle doves. But notice, as soon as Jesus came into their life, what began to happen for them? Wealth was attracted to their life as soon as Jesus showed up. Wise men opened, the Bible says in their, the Amplified, opened their treasure bags, opened their treasure chests unto them. Gold, frankincense, myrrh. Let me tell you something. These men, <clears throat> these men didn't know they were coming to see the son of God. They, they, they thought they were coming to see a king. They didn't realize he was the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords. So when they brought, you know, we see in the nativity scene, like they had a tiny little box of gold and a tiny little box of frankincense and a little tiny box of myrrh. No, the Bible says they opened their treasure bags unto him and they came with gifts for who they believed to be a king. Why do you think Herod was all bent out of shape? Show me where this king's being born. I'm going to kill him so that he doesn't take my throne. That's why. And they came as a caravan. There weren't three wise men, one white, one black, and one Asian, like you see in a lot of these DEI nativity scenes. <laughs> they opened. Send it to me, Ben. Rick Renners. They opened unto him their treasure bags. Why? Because they brought treasure from the east to someone they believed was going to be a king. So they brought treasure fit for a king. According to most scholars that I've read, and I've not found anything that contradicts it, enough wealth, enough wealth to sustain their family, their entire family for years in Egypt. As soon as Jesus showed up, he was attracting wealth to the family. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. As soon as he showed up, businessmen, think about this. There was something about Jesus, something about Jesus that men that owned their own business, Peter, others, were willing to say like, well, you know what? I'm leaving my business behind to follow this guy. I've never seen an entrepreneur that has a successful business that comes sees a homeless guy walk by like, I'm leaving all this behind. I got to follow that guy. I got to go follow him. <laughs> Jesus came and spoke to them and something about Jesus, something about his nature, his character, who he was, as he spoke to these men, they recognized this man is a man I need to follow. He's greater than me. He's greater than my business. He's greater than what I can produce. I got to follow him. 
And they did. So anybody that thinks like that has never read their Bible. They don't know. And you got to hate what God hates and go after what he loves. Don't be indifferent. Don't be complacent. Don't be indifferent. Don't be complacent. Don't be apathetic. Go after it. If God said it's ours, and you know what? I have zero, I have zero um, care what anybody might think about how hard we go after it at Miracle Word Church. Because we're going to see it come to pass. So I'm not dumbing it down and I'm not calming it down because there's, there's people that are uncomfortable in other places. There's another church that meets in the hotel that we meet in and they talk about us because of this. Well, that's that church over there that believes in increase. Yeah, we do. That's why we're in the big room and you're in the small room. <laughs> and I say that with all love in my heart. You can be in the big room. Believe God for increase. And so I'm not going to apologize. I'm not backing off. I'm going to see it for the people of God. I heard Bishop Oyedepo pray this way once, and it makes me pray this way now. And Bishop Oyedepo is one of the most blessed men in the world, let alone Nigeria, let alone Africa, in the world. <clears throat> and um, he prayed this one time. He said, Lord, if you won't bless my people, don't bless me. Why? He's standing in the gap for his people. He said, Lord, if you won't bless my people, don't bless me. I am not going to be the pastor. Well, I keep getting blessed and my people keep going from crisis to crisis and issue to issue and problem to problem. They're not seeing breakthroughs and they're not seeing increase. That's not going to be our story at Miracle Word Church and it's not been our story. I have that same heart. God, I'm not asking you to just bless me. I'm asking you to bless the people of Miracle Word Church. I'm asking you to bless the families of Miracle Word Church. I got that same heart. It's not going to be a one-man show. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not like the funnel at the top. I get, God's blessing me. I wish you all could get blessed too. No, they're going to get blessed. They're going to walk in overflow. They're going to walk in healing. They're going to walk in deliverance. They're going to walk in joy. They're going to walk in peace. Their families are being restored. Children that may have never talked to them in years are going to be restored to them. Sisters and brothers, maybe there was division in the family. It's coming to an end. We're going to see God's blessing flow in every aspect in every area at Miracle Word Church. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name. Something's going on. Something supernatural is going on. And I'm telling you, before we finish this time of fasting and prayer, we're holding testimonies in our hands in Jesus' name. We're holding testimonies in our hands in the mighty name of Jesus. We're going to have what God said is ours. We're going to have what God said is ours. Amen, Joanne. Amen, Willie. Amen, Sandy. Amen, Leslie. Amen, Ben. I see my Miracle Word Church people today on the broadcast. We're going to have it. We're going to have it. Amen, Tammy. Amen, Kevin. Amen, Ben, Jessica. We're going to have it. What God said is ours is coming quickly into our hands in the name of Jesus Christ. And no devil can stop it. No antichrist system can stop it. It's ours. We hate what God hates, but we love what he loves. And because we love what he loves, we're going after what he has. And we're going to grab a hold of it by a hand of faith and pull it. Amen, Suzanne and Larry. And we're going to pull it out of the unseen realm into the seen realm. Whew, hallelujah. I like that, Gabriel. The rising tide 
of God's increase raises all ships. Wonderful. Wonderful thought. When the tide goes up, every ship in the harbor goes higher. That's exactly right. The rising tide of God's increase raises all ships. You ought to write that. That's, that's so well put, Gabriel. People should write it in their notes. The rising tide of God's increase raises all ships. <clears throat> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so I'm praying for you today. We're believing God. This is going to be the greatest year we've ever seen. Ever. We'll have testimonies to tell. We'll have things to write in our journals to look back on years from now and say, man, what a year it was. Not that it won't get better. It's going to get better every single year. Hallelujah. That's right, Tammy. It's the power of corporate agreement. We got more than two or three gathered together that are agreeing for these things. We got more than that. And we're going to see God do supernatural things. Supernatural things. Father, we come to you today in the name of Jesus. And today, we have to stop and give you thanks for redemption. We have to give you thanks for the blood of Jesus that makes every one of these things possible. We thank you for his body that was broken for us. We thank you for his blood that was shed for us. We thank you, Lord, that we're free from sin. We thank you that we're free from sickness. We thank you that we're free from poverty and lack. We're free from depression and anxiety. We're free. We're free in Jesus' name. I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that this is a time of miracles, signs, wonders. I'm asking you now, Lord, as the Lavals are about to be home with their new baby in hand, I pray for a fresh anointing to come on that child, brand new to the world. I pray for a fresh anointing to come on that baby. The power of the Holy Ghost filling and surrounding a hedge of protection in Jesus' name. I pray, Lord, that if Jesus tarries, <clears throat> That baby will produce exploits in Jesus' mighty name. Exploits, glory to God, mighty things. Put an anointing to preach the gospel, to see souls saved, to see people healed, to cast out devils on that child in the name of Jesus. Strengthen that child, wisdom beyond their years. Lord, for our families, I pray that you would take us to a place that only you could bring us, a place we could not get on our own, a place we'd never arrive through our own ability, through our own wisdom, through our own education or networking. We'd never get there on our own. But what we could never do on our own, do it for us. Do it for us by your favor, by your power, by your ability, and take all the glory, take all the honor for what you're doing in Jesus' name. Lord, I'm praying that for those that are part of the Victory Tribe, those that are part of Miracle Word Church. I'm praying that today in Jesus' name. Bless them like you've blessed me. Bless us to such a degree that you make us a spectacle in the earth that people will have to look, they'll have to ask about, they'll have to admire what your handiwork has produced in our lives and in our families, in our ministries and in our businesses. Make us a spectacle in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Make us a spectacle in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I pray, Lord, that we would be on a fast track in 2024. A fast track into the promises of God. 
a fast track. And I give you praise for that. Right now, I feel faith on that. Somebody lift your hands and receive it. He's putting us on a fast track to the blessings and favor of heaven. We're under open heavens. Don't forget it this year. We're under open heavens. We're on the fast track in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me just tell you, this, this came to my memory right now as I was telling you that. I brought my daughter and my kids, really, they were all with us. I brought my, my family. We were at Universal Studios. This was the first time we ever went. And um, we went there, and the hotel we stayed in gave us our room keys became what they call fast passes at the park at Universal Studios. So we had these fast passes for the day. And I thought, man, this is interesting. Because I'd only, I'd only ever been to Disney World where if you wanted to have that fast pass style thing go on, you have to go to the ride, you have to schedule a time, and when you schedule the time, it's like a reservation, you come back at that time, and then you get to be in front of everybody and get on the ride. But it's not like that at Universal Studios. I noticed, they, now they had just released brand new rides, and the, the lines, the wait was long. One ride, it was over 90 minutes to get on the ride. The line was 90 minutes. But I noticed something, that there was a second line that was the fast pass line. I thought, this is interesting. So we went to this brand new ride that had just opened, me and my daughter Madeline, and it was just she and I that were riding this. And uh, we, w- we stepped in and we had the fast passes from the hotel. We walk into the fast pass line and uh, we knew the other one was 90 minutes. They scan our thing and we just start walking. We just start walking and walking and walking, and we're walking through unhindered. There's nobody. We walk all the way through this queue, and we're passing on our left this huge line, huge line. We walk all the way, and we're almost to the front. There may be like four or five people in front of us. And we step up there, and we walk. It maybe took us two minutes to get to the front of the line. There was maybe four or five people in front of us, and then we were right on the ride. My daughter liked it so much. That when we got off the ride, she said, Dad, I want to ride it again. I said, that's no problem. Let's go back. We go back and get in the fast pass line again, and we passed all the same people in line that we just passed a minute ago. They're all still waiting. They got a 90-some minute wait. And we go all the way again, right back to the front of the line, get on the ride again, ride it a second time. My mom, She liked it so much, she said, Dad, one more time. No problem. What do I care? We've got the fast pass. We go all the way back. And there we are, past the same people in line another time. They've not ridden it once yet. Now we've ridden it three times. And that's what I'm telling you. That's what popped up in my spirit. God's putting us on the fast track into the favor and the blessings of heaven. What's not happening for others is happening for us in Jesus' name. What's not happening for others is happening for us in Jesus' name. What's not happening for others is happening for us in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Uncommon blessings. Uncommon blessings. Hallelujah. I want you to put one more thing in the comments today. Put, I receive uncommon blessings. Pop it in the comments. I receive uncommon blessings. In the name of Jesus. That's right, Ben. We got a fast pass 
for blessing. I receive uncommon blessings. In Jesus' name. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.